What's up, everyone? This is episode 259 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my X account is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so welcome, everybody. I hope you've had a great week so far. If not, maybe this show can serve as a distraction for a little bit. And I'm pretty excited about today's main segment because I've got a fun conversation with a collector named Chris. You might know him from social media as Publius13. He's going to run us through his 100 card project, his basketball pyramid project, and then some of his thoughts on the hobby in general. Had a really good chat with him. I'll have that for you here shortly. I think you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. But first, I want to take a few moments to do something that I don't do all that often, but the tagline of the show mentions it talks about the future of basketball cards. So let's talk about the near future and run through some of the upcoming releases. And this is really just the next uh, month's worth of releases for Panini. Now, as always, these dates are subject to change. They likely will but it at least gives you some idea on what might be in store, just in case you want to save up for something. For example, I'm not going to spend money to open any of these products, maybe save for a blaster here and there, but I know I'll be picking up flawless singles, so I have to keep that in mind as I'm spending or not spending my money moving forward. Okay, so this is just the next month here. So uh, supposedly on February 14th, which if you're listening to this is probably yesterday or before that, 2023 Donruss Choice Basketball came out, and then a week later, February 21st, we're supposed to get two products on the same day. So we're supposed to get Prism Basketball, which keep in mind, we've already seen the retail version. I'm not sure if that was intentional from Panini or not. It seems like a pretty good strategy, though. But anyway, we're supposed to get the hobby version of Prism, and then also Court Kings Basketball, which I did see the preview for that. I can't say I'm all that excited about it. It's a shame. It used to be one of my favorite products. I'm not alone in that. I I saw some of the other people kind of chiming in on that, but uh, we'll see. Maybe when the product actually comes out, we like it a little bit better. Uh, Then in March, uh, March 1st, we've got Prism Choice Basketball that comes out uh, March 1st. We also have the Court Kings Basketball International Blasters. And then Wednesday, March 6th is the one of all of these I'm anticipating the most, It's also the oldest, quote, I guess, oldest product, but it's 2022-23 Flawless Basketball. So I'm kind of counting on there being a lot of relic dumping. They know which players have signed with different teams now. They know which players have been traded. You know, I would expect to see them liquidating a lot of those patches, but I suppose that's better than them using them in the future cards. Like the other day, I saw Kyle Anderson, Timberwolves card, with a giant Spurs patch in it from the new Immaculate. He has not been on the Spurs in like six years. So that's definitely a sign to me that they are liquidating those relics. And then we've got two more releases here to kind of close out this time frame that I'm looking at. We've got 2023 Fast Break Prism on March 8th. And then we've got Donruss Elite Basketball on March 13th. And I think the WWE version might've just come out. So I'm not sure if those releases are supposed to look the same, but it might be worth watching that as well to kind of get an idea on if you want to pursue the basketball in the near future too. Okay. So that was just a a quick recap. Like I said, supposedly the next month, those dates are subject to change. We shall see. All right. Before I move into today's conversation, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time. But it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! 
Okay, so joining me today is someone who's making his Wax Museum podcast debut. There's a good chance you know him from social media where he posts under the handle at Publius13. Chris, the last time I heard you on a podcast was when you were on with Brett from Stacking Slabs and you had a detector of some sort beeping in the background. I think I've heard that referenced several times on several shows since then. <laughs> People were legitimately concerned about you. So I guess my first question for you today is, are you safe? Safe from us being interrupted by any noise? Yes. Safe if the house catches on fire tonight? Maybe maybe not, you know, after te uh, temporarily disabling those for a little bit. He unplugged everything. It is not my fault if something happens, though. That was his own choosing. But uh, I, I do appreciate you doing that. And, and I had actually forgotten about that whole ordeal until I saw your story post earlier this week where you had pulled the plug. But um, similar to a lot of guests that I've had on the show, you and I have messaged back and forth on social media for at least a couple years now. And then we even met up at the National for a few minutes uh, with that being said, I still don't know you or your collecting history all that well. So that's probably a, a, as good a starting point as any. You've listened to the show before you know the drill. Let's start things off by having you take us through your collecting history. Yes, I grew up in Boston. I'm like the quintessential or generic boomerang collector. Like, uh, I think the first packs I opened were 1990 Fleer and Upper Deck Baseball. Like, I, my first card memory is sitting in my bedroom floor as a toddler um, being introduced to like 1988 score baseball, like with rubber bands. And I, my earliest memory is like organizing 88 score and 88 tops baseball by team and rubber bands. And then I think, uh, you know, 1990 was, was my first pack. And I collected uh, through, I'd say, 97. Uh, like, I mean, that that seems to be like a pretty popular exit point. You're getting through high school or entering high school. Most people kind of, like, there's a lot of like older millennials, I think, that collected like through the 90s and then left kind of like as those like late 90s inserts were coming out, which is why they're not, they have no nostalgic value to me and aren't as important to me as like uh, a lot of higher end collectors that really like those cards. Like they just don't, like Star Rubies does not resonate with me like whatsoever, just because I didn't know what a Star Ruby was until like three years ago. Right. Uh, so so there's that. But uh, yeah, I, th I think my my last year collecting was like 1990. I, I had, when I was going through the old box, I saw some 1998 tops basketball. So I probably popped in for, you know, a couple packs the next year when no one was looking and uh, just to, just to see what was going on. And and Paul Pierce was a rookie then. So maybe I wanted to pick up uh, a few assists. But that was a lockout year, too, though, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So we, we had yeah. cards, but then, uh, I you know, the NBA kind of wasn't there. So it was hard to to maintain that interest. Yeah. And the <laughs> Knicks ended up getting to the, the finals that season. Right. And it kind of. Yeah, we don't want We don't need to talk about that. Oh, did they beat the Pacers. And I, I, I want to say, weren't they the eight seed? Didn't they? Uh, I, they I believe they did beat the Pacers that year. It was not oh, a really. Good, oh, that, uh, makes good sense the, that makes sense because the Pacers were in the 98 ECF. So they mm -hmm. were obviously good then okay and then uh for the next let's see how long would it have been i guess 22 years i mean my collecting was limited to i think a couple times when i was in college at walmart i picked up a blaster box of football like i mean maybe every five years or i remember in 2006 i had a commute to work and i would stop at this one Exxon Mobil every Monday morning on my way down the Mass Pike to my client. And I would buy like four packs of football cards with my breakfast and try to uh, hoping for like a Reggie Bush rookie card. <laughs> uh, and, and like, and so like stuff like that, like throughout the years. And then uh, 2020 happened and like everyone else, I said, oh, I don't really have much going on in terms of hobbies these days and I, I can't leave my house. So, you know, you start going through the box and what is grading and oh my God, like the first time somebody bought something from me on eBay, I thought like my checking account was getting 
emptied by somebody in a third world country. Like I had, I was like, is this real that somebody just sent this, like, e like doing e-commerce on my own was, it was like insane to me, you know? So at first the, the, like, once I started going through everything and figuring out prices and how does grading work and how do I sell this stuff? Like, or, or I was like, wow, I was like, I'm going to like sell all this stuff and have like a couple months living expenses for like these boxes that I haven't, you know, really they're in like my grandparents cellar um, for like the last two decades while I was, you know, moving away to school and then moving it. Like I had lived out of the area for so long uh, that I stored a lot of stuff there when I was moving from place to place. And then like, well, my first grading submission was at PSA, which I think was probably the better part of 14 months or something like that. Um, I, I think I got a little jittery and bored and started looking and I was like, you know, I heard people and I was listening to some podcasts and heard people and I, I just kind of got a little fascinated at first by like the why is why does Zion cost more than Luca and some of that stuff. And, uh, you know, I look back at some of the older cars like, oh, I should have a copy of like a couple of these. And, oh, I always wanted that card and I never owned it. And it kind of started slowly. And then, like the next thing I knew, I had like really no desire when I got the cards back eventually to sell them other than like I needed the money to like go get the net and then like I was hitting like my second apex as a as a collector like and and I was like wow I'm gonna I'm never leave I was like I'm never leaving this hobby again I'm like 100% in until my last day here um and so so that quickly went from I'm gonna pick up a couple months living expenses by selling all these to now it's like a significant dent in my like annual <laughs> budget. Right. So the complete opposite way. You've been in this a while now. You've been in this or back in this, I should say, for four years, which a yeah. lot more has happened in that four years than would happen in you know a normal four years in the hobby prior to that, in my opinion. So you've seen a lot of people and trends and companies even come and go. And even though we haven't officially reached the end of Panini's basketball license, it, it already feels like we're in between manufacturers. So there's some big changes happening here. Do you have any overarching thoughts on the state of the hobby right now, seeing as, you know, it was kind of at an all-time high when you came in and, and things have definitely changed a lot since then? I think actually I'm probably at a floor for in terms of like hobby, hot, like I don't have any real like hot button items, topics going on right now. Um, real, really like the only thing I've been thinking about recently and as much like as much as I hated the 2021 boom and Rob go posting his auction links about how cheap this card is and uh, <laughs> Josh Luper trying to sell us like Elmo cards or whatever he was doing. Um, Elmo cards number zero. <laughs> <laughs> zero zero cool aptly named so like as much as i disliked uh all the v friends and they're 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 grifting um i've noticed uh, a lot of people i used to like communicate with like i i missed like the constant hobby chatter i right. guess is like my i would say on my card account the the number of like incoming and outgoing dms it it must honestly be like 10% of what it was two years ago um, it, or yeah, two years ago. I'd say, so like some of the people I used to talk to, I think have left or either like significantly toned down um, their hobbying, right. Or like maybe in a, what they're telling themselves is a timeout, but I fear is kind of a it's, adios. Yeah. More right, of a sign like, or right. I'm taking a, I worry some of these, Oh, I'm just taking a little break is like, yeah, I'm um, never or like are never coming back, right? Because like, we'll like just yeah, away. like the twenty year break they just came off of not too long before. Yeah, I guess I just I do miss the um like the abundance of card chatter, and even though I didn't like, I'd say the vast majority of the content that was out, like I you know it's a it's a catch twenty two. You don't like all of the the hype beasts and all, like a lot of the frowned upon activity that was happening during the boom. But on the other hand, uh, you know, it was a little, there's, there's more to talk about and more to kind of like involve yourself in when that was going on than kind of the, the quietness of today. Now you mentioned the hype artists there and, and manipulation and, and, <laughs> and all of that fun stuff, which we could definitely go into that, but we will 
refrain for right now, but we've had this conversation before. We've had this on DM. So you, the last time you ended it by just saying, I just like the actual items and it all comes back to the cards for you. And earlier you referenced, um, or, or I guess when, not yet, but when we were talking, you referenced your hundred card. I don't know if you want to call it your hundred card case approach, your hundred case, whatever you want to call it. I know you've talked about it on stacking slabs as well. Tell me a little more about that. Like at some point I decided I'm going to do a hundred card case of like the, the hundred. It's like, I don't know what the exact litmus test is for a card to go into the case because it cha- I, I, I've probably killed a couple trees with the amount of note paper I've like go through making notes and, and kind of thinking about all this stuff and adding cards off the primary list and onto the secondary list and all this stuff. But yeah, I decided like I was going to just build out this hundred card case. It's a good way. Like I like having a goal is a, I'm not going to call myself a collector, a curator. Um, and so like focusing on the list and it kind of keeps me like in my lane and, and limited to just like focusing on the stuff I really want. Cause I noticed also when I strayed from that, I'd end up with like accumulating some stuff I didn't want, but that like, some stuff I liked, but then like wouldn't own any of them, like my top five coveted cards. And I was like, how do I have like 55 cards here, but like none in my top six that, <laughs> that I want to own. Uh, so it's a, it's a great way to keep me focused and, um, and that I just like the, it makes it like kind of hard and challenging, like a logic game, right. Where you're trying to like fit pieces of the puzzle together. And if I put this one in, then I needed to, and I don't really need this one as much. And like, to me, the end goal is completing the case, not necessarily like the hundred cards individual. Like I'm more concerned with how it looks holistically flipping through all hundred cards chronologically than um, like acquiring any of the individual pieces. Like some of it, uh, like the fit, uh, is like really important to me and I want to ideally like at some point just be able to here's my story of the hobby here's card one boom here's card hundred um if, if somebody picked it up I'd like to think that they could write my obituary um okay. because okay. they'd be able to be like all right so this part well, let's see we we know the majority of the prime years here and we can kind of see you know, the, all right, this is a clearly a millennial who is from Boston and had an affinity for Nike bat like basketball and Ken Griffey Jr. and Tiger, like, you know, something like that. Okay. So, well, you say you didn't have an exact criteria for it. And I, and I think that's because you've built some real like um, data intense projects here, but which we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about one of those here a little bit later Relatively, on, but yeah. yeah, it does sound like you, you do have some criteria. I mean, it's not just you taking two cards and looking at them and deciding, Hey, this one, this one looks cooler in the moment. It is, Hey, this helps me narrate my story, my hobby history, the teams I like, right. It's multi-sport if I recall correctly. And a couple non-spoil. We have a Darth Vader card in there. So okay. the the biggest, like, I'd say, like, the number one test is for, like, whether or not the card goes in the case for me is if you say the year, it's, like, the first, it's, like, what immediately comes to mind. So if okay. you said, like, 1993, like, I would be, like, oh, 1993, Scoring Kings, Skybox Premium Dynamic, the first set of finest for baseball and basketball what else is in 93 like sp baseball Derek jeter rookie cards chris weber rookie card like penny hardaway rookie cards so like it would be some basket of like those immediate things and if you say the year and like that that genre or specific card doesn't pop into mind then like i don't really need it to be part of my case basically that's why it's definitely probably two-thirds of it is in the 80s and 90s i'd say okay and then uh, there's some of it that's vintage cards that i had an affinity for that i like knew of when i was a kid collecting but would have not thought about spending that kind of money on or didn't have that kind of money to spend on those cards and then there's like a few from there's some stuff from the 2000s that maybe i've 
over time recently kind of gathered an appreciation for or also because like Tom Brady has to be in the case and I don't have like I can't collect pre-1997 Tom Brady cards unfortunately so right so your Instagram posts mostly have revolved around the the curation of this case uh, but over the last week or two you've been posting about a basketball pyramid project and I don't want people to confuse this with Connell Collections collecting pyramid uh, which Alex probably has like 20 different layers on it right now. Uh, you know, Steve and I give him a hard time about that, but this is not the same thing as that is all. So yours pertains to your all time player rankings and we'll get into the tenets and the criteria and all that fun stuff. But first I want to know what motivated you to set about this task? Because as I understand, it took you like an insane amount of time, like a hundred hours that you were pouring over this data. Gosh, I couldn't tell you the amount of times I can't sleep and wake up at like 3.30 in the morning. And I'm like, I wonder what like David Robinson's BPM in 2001 was. And like, am I <laughs> in back of my computer, you know, like reading on basketball reference and stuff. But like, this is my first time actually ever like exporting data like off of websites into like my own Excel files and trying to like mirror them up against each other in consecutive hours. Cause like, I, I do look at that stuff all the time. Like my uh, other than cards, I'd say like my favorite uh, pastime mm -hmm. is researching basketball history and just like going back through some. And a lot of times it happens because like, I'll turn on Celtics Raptors on a Tuesday night and watch Jason Tatum launch turnaround threes uh, from above the break. And I just like, I don't enjoy the current NBA. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I think I go back a lot um, just trying to think about like how uh, I feel about some of these players. But also it, it, it is partially um, it, it is a little bit to do with, I'm not particularly fond of the current uh, coverage of NBA history, uh, like the Gilbert Arenas is. Um, and or even kind of, the NBA itself does a horrible job of narrating its past. I mean, if you get on Instagram, I don't want to be on Instagram and have some 14-year-old tell me that Kobe Bryant was the second best basketball player ever. Like that, that is like my actual nightmare. Um, and and Sharif Abdur-Rahim was a problem. Yeah. Jason Williams used to cook uh, and all, all <laughs> of this. Like I, I'm going to, I'll tell you their team. It's like Allen Iverson, Jason Williams, Zach Levine. They would love Zach Levine, even though ironically, when he started sitting out the, the Bulls won won like six of eight games once he got hurt. Uh, so I, I don't know, maybe there's more to basketball than simply who scores the points. I could be, I could be wrong on that one, but uh, I just think there's like a fundamental misunderstanding of the game. And, and I fully acknowledge like there is no all time. Like it's an, what I did is, is my crack at an unsolvable problem. Okay. Right. Because Unfortunately, every player plays, you know, historically, people play in different eras, in different circumstances, on different teams, with different teammates, in different substitution patterns. So there's not enough sample size of like consistent, constant data to ever really fully evaluate all these players, right? There's not enough consistent data to ever answer these questions. Maybe that's the fascination with doing it is that you're trying to just like torture yourself solving an un unsolvable or unanswerable question. Um, but I like going back through it and, and trying to figure out like what's really happening here with some of the, like, especially some of the floor data can get kind of noisy. And I think it's like instructive also on some, like if you look at uh Jokic's advanced stats, his first, like where, He's splitting minutes with who was the other center that they had this first couple years? Nurkic. He has like monster floor stats and advanced. Like he doesn't have great box stats because he's only playing what 22 minutes a game or whatever those first couple of years. But if you look at the impact stats, they're they're playing 
the the Nuggets are playing at like a very high rate when he's on the floor relative to when he's off the like off the floor, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like th- those were probably early indicators uh, of Jokic, but uh, and you you see it of like every great player, even like their first four years, some of their points per game might like you might see like slight increases but you can if you go look at the on off numbers you'll see like negative four year one negative one year two and then all of a sudden um it and it's just easier it's sometimes it's easier to pick up than some of like the traditional box score stuff which is like complete garbage if you ask me Okay. So let's, um, there are a lot of ways we could run through this pyramid. We could really get into the weeds, um, which we've got to find a little bit of a balance here, but I've been looking over at some in the past few days and and I figure the best way might be to tackle your 10 tenants and then, uh, run through the players on each tier at the end. And and we don't have to describe why every single player got in every single spot, but we uh, can... I'd like 10 minutes reserved for each player. I 10 think. minutes for each player. All right. <laughs> Bonus content, right? Bonus content. Just leave, just leave me on the pod when you, when you I'll keep, I'll keep rolling. Until I'll sign off here. Me. All right. Yeah. So, so your first tenant is that you want to address is conflation. Um, and tell me a little bit about why you listed that as number one. The Kobe Bryant example, I think is like actually a bit like uh, a good one here. I think people that have Kobe ranked a lot higher than I do, like this is probably part of the reason why is all of my pyramids are listen. What I'm concerned about is basically like prime playing or like apex playing years, uh, peak performance. And and whereas I, when I hear a lot of the debates, uh, people are using like how these career accolades, right. And Mm -hmm. it's about who had the best career and this person did this over how many years who was the best player at their prime and two who had the best career in terms of accolades are like two completely different conversations. So to me, it's not uh, at all confusing why people would have markedly different lists there. If I were ranking NBA careers, I would actually have like, I, I think Shaq's prime was way better than Kobe Bryant's. If you ask me whose career was better just to prove I'm not, uh, a Kobe hater, like I, like Kobe had like thirteen All NBA, like real All NBA seasons, probably, probably from like ninety nine to thirteen. That's like thirteen, like real legit All NBA seasons. Uh, Shaq did not have that many, like solid All. Like so, if you ask me who had a better career, like I, I would probably tell you Kobe had a better career than Shaq. But if you're asking me who was a better prime player. Like I, I think it's Shaq by a lot. So that's, that's part, that's really what the completion is. And you kind of summed it up on one of your posts. I've got it pulled up on my phone here. It says that uh, people are really trying to merge two separate debates into one, who is the best player in terms of peak performance or who had the best uh, career, the uh, yeah. accumulation of accomplishments. All right. So uh, that kind of moves into um, number two, which was the six year primes and you you kind of pointed out that um, two to three years is an apex, but five to nine years is a prime. So what are what are you talking about there? Yeah, it, it's similar to number one. It's just setting like anyone can have their own standard when making these lists, and I think people should. But I think the point is to like have a standard of what you're <laughs> what you're evaluating, right? So that. Um, if you're talking about if, if you're making your all time list and you're kind of going back and forth between prime and like just just pick one. What are we actually talking about here? Right. Um, so, like I said, I said, I am less interested in like who had the best career. Right. I think if, we, if I was going to do that, I just make a mathematical formula and multiply Finals MVPs times all NBA, but whatever, and I wouldn't have to think about it at all, right? And it would be very, it would be very uninteresting to me. Um, and so this was just pointing out that I think there's like three lists you could conceivably make. One is like a career ranking. Two is like a prime ranking, which is what I did for this. I picked six years, seven. You could use seven, five, whatever. It's probably going to come out exactly the same. I intentionally use six to try to avoid some of the there's 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 definitely issues with doing this because injuries happen and stuff like that um and then third you could do an apex and um 
I don't know. I've I've done that before, and I I I was I just kind of wanted to look at like a broader spectrum, and then it also like looking at the apex is tough because if people get upset then because it's like for Garnett I'm gonna use to that like Garnett's apex is is like really high, right? Mm -hmm. Like his o three o four. Oh five, the, the MVP, uh, yeah, then, MVP year. But then it's like, oh, but he won the championship in two thousand. Like that's when he was the anchor. Like he, you know, and played meaningful playoff games. So I don't know. For this one, I just picked a six year prime, and I also kind of wanted to take a longer view at like I I hadn't previously looked at uh, some of the newer players I added. So I also kind of wanted to like go through more years of their stuff selfishly. Okay. So um, number three, you have on-court impact only. So you're looking at their per 100 possessions. Uh, number four, you said the eye test is stupid. Um, <laughs> so I, and we kind of alluded to that earlier, but just run me through what you mean there real quick. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, um, as someone who's watched a ton of basketball, um, even me, who's like, obsessive compulsive with this ranking and an analyzing stuff when i'm watching a basketball game i'm watching it for entertainment purposes uh i want to meet the hobbyist on instagram who watches a golden state warriors game and is quantifying draymond green's encore value during the game like uh i i, I want to meet this person i there's just so much that goes on in a given possession, it's very easy for the uh, eye test analyzer, uh, the, the things that are, are, are going to typically uh, overvalue the things that are simple, like very easy to see, such as who scored the basket, who made the flashiest play and like who won, right? So those are kind of like the lazy things that anyone can take away from it. So to me, quite obvious why those, the, the players that do those sort of things tend to be the most overrated. Uh, right. Like if I, if I made a list of, of players that kind of fit that criteria and then I made an overrated players list, it would, it would look very similar, but there's just a lot that goes on in a given play And the whole point of basketball is you're improving your team's outcome when you're on the floor versus when you're not on the floor. And that doesn't have to necessarily be by scoring points and then people will say oh let's look at the box score stats after but those are also um this is i think this was in another tenant later so i won't get too far into it but um yeah i think that's kind of the, the point there of that one okay um so then number five you've got culture-based narratives are stupid and the the example you gave i think was alan iverson carrying the sixers to their finals run You've got yeah. uh, numbers. that was a good one. The two, the two thousand one I go Iverson goat run where he shot thirty four percent. Right. Got cooked, yeah, but it, got cooked but he by, stepped got over by Ray Allen. Yeah, but he stepped over Tyron Lue, right? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, number six, you've got avoid winning bias. So, what are you talking about there? Oh, I mean, this that, that I'd say that's like that is meant to like encompass rings culture. Basically the championships are won by teams, right? So I don't know why we love in basketball more than, well, I guess it happens in every sport. Now we want to judge individual players, but based on team outcomes. Um, and that just kind of like seems silly to me. We always say this player won this championship when really no players ever won a championship. It's the, the team they happened uh, like the, Kevin Garnett didn't win the 2008 championship, the 2008 Boston Celtics did. And I think that leads to players that have been in winning organizations that have won in cha won championships uh, being overrated and players who have maybe had bet like played a mate, like Chris Paul comes to mind. Chris Weber uh, have played like amazing basketball, um, gotten this, these uh, reputations as like choke art, like Chris Paul's, statistically better in the playoffs than the regular season mm -hmm. so i the the playoff choker narrative is is kind of played out that's really like just uh it's like an anti-rings culture tenant kind of uh where let's not undervalue players just because their team didn't achieve that outcome right uh, yeah well and, and if you're gonna do the whole rings thing then then take it to its limits right you never hear people talk about sam jones well, Sam Jones has got a ton of rings, right? And how he was a great have? player. He went to 10 finals. I don't know how many. Did he win every uh, practically every time, right? 
I, all my Probably. Boston fans are going to kill me here. Sorry, guys. Um, don't, but yeah, I mean, you're talking to one of them. I don't even, I don't know the answer. <laughs> he's got a lot of them though. I mean, you see his name flashed up when they talk about LeBron's finals appearances, but then it, the, the discussion kind of ends there. Okay. I want to interrupt here for a moment, just to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by the good people over at comc.com. Your home for buying, selling, flipping, and grading all the hottest trading cards. And right now they're running an MLB leadoff promo where you can get 30% off all select and elite baseball submissions, valid until March 8th. By the way, this also stacks with the Fresh Polls program. So to learn more about this and other exciting ComC opportunities, head on over to the ComC blog. Um, all right, so number seven, you've got ignore arguments of authority. And this is one I would say I'm I'm guilty of this one. So uh, tell us a little bit about arguments of authority. And I think the main point of this is just that playing basketball and analyzing basketball are two completely different skill sets. Um, we know this is true based on some of the the GM moves that LeBron has made over the last decade. And I can, I could write a long book about Michael Jordan's NBA draft prowess and some of the decisions, like it takes nothing away from how great Michael Jordan is as a player, but maybe he's actually like not the greatest uh, assessor of talent, right? Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's something different. And then also when you ask these players, they're neither objective or independent, like they have motives uh, of saying certain right like tracing I think tracing Grady yesterday was saying Kobe was top three well like Kobe Bryant used to like that they, they used to play like against each other head to head and Kobe had talked about how great like by elevating Kobe Bryant he's also kind of indirectly elevating himself there mm -hmm. um, I think it's obvious to all I mean it's it's kind of a moot point now but I always felt and I'm sure everyone else did that MJ always uh, showed huge favoritism towards Kobe Bryant as opposed to LeBron. Mm -hmm. Right. Would you agree with that? I do. Yeah. And I, and I also think that all of the nineties players are like in awe of MJ. Like yeah. every, every YouTube clip you see, it's just MJ is held in the highest regard and I'm not knocking MJ. I'm, I like MJ, but it, it's just, you will never hear other than like Scottie Pippen. You're not going to hear somebody try to put LeBron on at least even on the same tier. But, uh, but do you not think so? Like to me, I always felt like MJ was propelling Kobe, uh, like talk would talk favorably about Kobe and down on LeBron because LeBron was the more legitimate threat to his legacy. Like I thought it was self, serving when he did that wasn't like does is that not no I, how I, you... I agree i think there's some of that i mean i think it's also you've got kobe modeling a lot of moves after mj yeah. and and you know mj can kind of point to that and say yeah look at this great player he obviously you know that's my fadeaway that's my this that's my that yeah. and yes i know lebron wore 23 but that's not that's not the same as literally stealing move sets um yeah so yeah, I, I, I can see a little bit of that. Now, when I said that I fell victim to that, Tracy McGrady doesn't trick me. Gilbert Arenas doesn't trick me, but it's when I'm reading like Bill Russell's autobiography, yeah. he's talking about Nate Thurman and I'm reading Wilt Chamberlain's autobiography. He's talking about Nate Thurman. I'm reading Rick Barry's autobiography. He's talking about Nate Thurman, like man, Nate Thurman was a hell of a player and, and he was, but it's just, I think it, I have, I haven't actually looked at the stats. Yeah, it's hard. There's no play-by-play -play data. There's limited game, and I'm probably not. I mean, I've watched some. I've gone back and watched some games from that era. I mean, there, it's not all available. There's, there's not one. enough to really get yeah. an idea of what yeah. you're seeing. And you watch it, and you're like, okay, there's not enough to get to formulate a whole lot of opinions, and it's not fun to watch. So it's I think brutal. I'm gonna. Yeah. But uh, to your point, so because of that, Jerry West got me. The like I was going to have Jerry West a tear above Oscar. And I heard Jerry West talking about Oscar and I moved them up next to each other. And, um, but also part of that is I place a high value on Jerry West's opinion. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't really seem to me to be like, ha have a motive with how he 
he might have like a few personality disorders and incapable of like a false false pretenses or motives or anything like he's uh like he just seems like he's he's uh pretty serious in his assessment of it and like he's been a great evaluator of talent all the way through the night i think even i think he's probably is he still working for the clippers he does like there's a reason yeah. this guy is like bouncing around organizations in his 80s right um so like he's one of the few like okay and it all like if danny ainge were to tell me like hey i think uh you might be off here and like like i would listen to danny ainge also and be like okay uh, uh, you you boston people love just uh, love danny ainge he just <laughs> wants draft picks at this point all right so um you mentioned well we talked about arguments of authority uh number eight you've got things you care about and and you did mention contemporaneous memos for pre-1973 so we, i i guess we kind of touched on that a little bit there um number nine you've got latent value which is advanced per possession data. Uh, so tell me, how are you analyzing that? Are you just, is that just a basketball reference deep dive or what are you doing there? So like play-by-play -play data doesn't exist pre 96, 97, I believe is the first year. And uh, and some of it that does, and even beyond that, right? Uh, some, of, some of the play-by-play -play data that does exist is actually proprietary. So it's kind of difficult to get your hands on a lot of stuff other than um, I know even like ESPN, I believe, uh, discontinued their real plus minus, I think, last year or something like that. And I know there was a statistic on 82games.com that they did for a while and it was called simple rating, where it was like 50 percent on off court and then 50 percent they would find some way to kind of measure the player's production in a given game versus the, the, his um, counterpart on the other team at the, at the same position. And so it would kind of like bump up the small forward, Kevin Durant versus the small forwards. He played it like the, on the other team when they were on the floor at the same time. And then also is on off. And those would come out with some pretty, like, you know, they're good when like Jokic is one, Giannis, like, it's, you know, like you can tell that they kind of work right like and uh they're interesting to to look at um so yeah so some of it's tough to kind of get your hands on but like i like to use on off personally um but like the problem is and we've already talked about it earlier is it's noisy because you just don't have the sample size right and there's 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 uh substitution patterns that you have to account for and so like season by season you see a couple deltas that you're like ah this doesn't make complete sense that like kevin garnett got 15 points worse per 100 possessions like from 28 to 29 years old is there like something else going on here where like they signed like the sixth man of the year or something and so like now the bench unit is like scoring at a a better rate or something like that but like i'll still take all of that and try to weed through it than traditional box stats mm -hmm. which overly focus on right who scored the basket and and especially it really bothers me like on the defensive end where now if you want to have an argument with about defensive players you just take their steals or their blocks right because those are what good Defense, good defensive steals plus blocks equals good defense. Uh, can't possibly be steals can't possibly be that someone's reaching in and getting out of position too often, right? Because right. we don't track the times they got blown by on missed steals, right? And block shots, we just count the blocks. We don't try to figure out, oh, well, this player got the 1.5 blocks. How many pump fakes did they jump for? get completely out of position and give up an easy dunk. Right. And, or, or who's for going over a screen and, and keeping yeah. up with their player on the or way to for the assist, uh Oh, Russell Westbrook got 17 assists tonight. The other 18 possessions, he dropped it in some guy's hand with two seconds left in the shot clock. But, but don't worry about that. Cause it won't go in his box score. Uh, how do we account for those? I wonder. Right. Yeah. All right. So then your, your 10th tenant here, is no teleporting and i we probably referred to this a little bit already but you said evolution is a real thing 
And I, I'm glad you included this because I, I get tired of all of the, you know, the Bob Cousy hate and the Paul Arizon hate. It doesn't make sense to me to evaluate people um, in real time that arrived on earth, like 60 years apart from each other. <laughs> right. Like, are you going to leave Napoleon off an all time generals list? And because he didn't have like modern day ballistic missiles or something like, right. Some, right? Yeah. Like, if, it, if this was like checkers at some point, I think we've maxed out what we can do with the game, but basketball is obviously rule changes. Everything's evolving. You know, people, uh, players, health is changing everything's changing like abraham lincoln or george washington would you be like well i don't know they didn't have like they didn't know how to use like a teleprompter like at the state <laughs> like or, like some like something like like it the uh, the whole like beauty of it is trying to like dissertain what would happen if these two people or however many people arrived in the same place at the same time is kind of the point right so whether you want to say, what would Bill Russell be like if he was born 50 years later and had, you know, in, in one, he has the advantages of digesting everything that's happened in the 50, in the 50 years prior and all the modern science and, and um, gear and every and whatnot. Or if you want to move uh, Jokic back 50 years and say, Oh, what if he was born and didn't like learn this from someone didn't have the advantage of like the spacing era and had to play in like worn down factory shoes on uh, like a cement parquet floor like that like that's part of it right it's relative to your era mm -hmm. otherwise um i don't know like jordan Poole might be better than clyde drexler in like <laughs> right. be, like 2023 jordan Poole who sucks and is a cancer to anything he plays on actually is probably more skilled than 1991 Clyde Drexler, just yeah. because he's had the advantage of like the game advancing 30 years. But like, do you want to put Jordan Poole above Clyde Drexler on your all time list? I mean, I guess if you can like you Gilbert Arenas and Adam Lefko and whoever else might, but like, I don't want to do that. Right. Yeah, like Nas Reed is like the the nineteen sixty four scoring <laughs> <Yeah>. champion. <laughs> so that's that's the thing. Okay, that's a good one. Like, if you're gonna do that stuff, then put Nas Reed ahead of Bill Russell on your all time list. Right. That is the like. If you're gonna do this, like, oh, he couldn't. Like, then yeah, put Luke Cornett ahead of Bill Russell. Then, like, that's what I want you to do. If if that's if we're gonna just pretend these guys are all playing on Eagle Fields. So I like the fact that you've got these guys tiered and, and maybe that's the approach I should have taken all along because you've kind of disguised like, you know, some of the guys like, let's say Kobe, I won't say exactly where you have them, but <laughs> you don't outright say he's, I'm just going to make up a number here. You don't outright say he's 12. It's no, he's on the second tier. Uh, now, granted it's five is the top. So he's second from the bottom. So you don't outright say he's in that position. So maybe that, has prevented some of the um, the flack that you could have gotten for that move. But you've got Jordan and you've got LeBron in your top tier. You've got Kareem below that. You've got Russell and Bird and Shaq in there as well. So that's where I think the the player prime really comes into play because I think Shaq would probably, what is he? That That's two, four, six players. I don't think a lot of people would have Shaq higher than six on their all-time list. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that was the most common response I got. And like, even, I mean, no one really, no one said anything. To, like the responses I got in the most flag out were all from like the people I talked to the most about this stuff. And they, most of them said, uh, you have Shaq way higher. Like that, that was the most common critique. I would say um, I feel more uh, justified than ever. Like having, like I had Shaq, I, I've always had Shaq a little bit higher than consensus. And I think that's because I care about like Shaq's peak or his prime is like way better than his career. So it makes sense that I have Shaq uh, ranked higher the most. I also think like in my history of basketball watching, there's been three players who I would consider like inevitable uh, as a fan. 
And I think you get like a, the best perspective on this when you're the opposing fan. And for most of my life, I haven't, I've never like my team, the Celtics have never had the best player in the league, right? We've always kind of been like battling against uh, those players in like in my lifetime, the three inevitable players are like the two, three beat Jordans where you're just like, well, there's no chance that he's not going to like, there's just no chance. He's going to like, you're just watching to see what happens. Right. Uh, three Pete Shaq. Mm-hmm. The guy was literally dunking people through the bat. Like, yes, I'm, they I'm had well to aware try of, to of the 2000 finals. Any rule humanly possible to like make the game watchable. Um, like the, the Pacers and Nets only chance was that Kobe wanted to try to score too much and Shaq would like, and would like not allow Shaq to score 55 points on them. Yeah. Jalen, uh, and Jalen even talked about one time that he basically tried to land under Kobe so he could at least take one of them out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then like, um, 2012 to 16 LeBron. I, it was uh was the other one. Oh great um, so the pacers ran into all three of those guys yeah oh god well don't get me started on 20 like you've got your rings i don't want to hear it you've got your rings. yeah but i had to watch lebron who i hated and weighed on the heat like take it like kill my heroes right like right. that was 2012 was like watching my dog get put down by lebron and wade uh like in a back alley uh, if KG had called me and said, we got a crowbar for you, he's coming out of the hotel back here, I probably would have just taken a 10-year <laughs> sentence to help out. Like, it would just kill me watching those guys lose to the younger, more athletic players and just feel so helpless. So but, so uh, KG's your guy, though. So I'm looking at your I'm, – I'm just counting out your top 10 on here. And I would say without me doing the 100 hours of – you know, data analysis, my top 10 was the same, except I didn't have Kevin Garnett in there. Okay. Um, and I'm not, I'm not even arguing against, you know, your case here, but I just thought that was interesting that the way that you kind of framed everything and you're looking at primes, it's got me thinking a little bit different about Kevin Garnett, which I hate because I don't like Kevin Garnett. Don't ask me why it's just, I just don't like him. but yeah, you've got me thinking a little different about that. So there, you don't think there's any bias there, right? There might be uh, a little bit. I don't know. I'm really high on his peak. Like, I think if he gets, I think if you flip him and Duncan in their drafts, the Spurs are no worse off. Mm-hmm. Um, they look very similar in statistically in head-to-head matchups. I'll tell you this. I think Kevin Garnett, I think out of all the players I looked at, um, I think I only saw three seasons of plus 20 on off deltas. Mm. So like per hundred possessions, your team is 20 points better, like 20 points per hundred possessions is a lot. I think I only saw three seasons of plus 20 and one was like 2009 LeBron and the other it's like Oh three and Oh four Garnett. So, I mean, and now, now part now, of that think... is he's he's bolstered up by the t- by the team behind him is it hurts him in one instance because he can't <laughs> he uh you know he, he can't win like with a, Wally Zerbiak. He can't win. Yeah, with on the other end, it makes some of his on and off stuff look really good because as soon as he comes off the floor, they get the brakes beaten off of them like a like a JD right. basketball. Yeah, it's team. it's like Troy Hudson just getting hunted just nonstop. Yeah. Or, or I watched uh, some of the 20, 2004 Western Conference Finals recently, and uh, when Sam Cassell gets hurt, is injured in that series, and it still goes. I mean, so you t- uh, he goes six games with Shaq and pro- peak Shaq, mm-hmm. probably like early prime Kobe is two thousand four, like Kobe's P apex probably oh seven oh eight. Um, and it takes. I, the I two kind of them, thought that 04 Lakers team kind of sucked, but I, I yeah, mean they it, well, they it still takes them six games to put away KG playing with Sam Cassell's out. Their options for bringing the ball up the car are Kevin Garnett is playing point guard half the game, while he's also their primary scorer, rebounder, and defender. Or the other possessions is Fred Hoiberg 
who after one snap has to put his back to the defender in order to back up across half court without getting the ball stolen from him. So like, I don't know, like I, I, uh, I think that's a pretty high peak for Garnett. The other problem with there, I would say though, and this is one of the other reasons maybe I knocked down Kareem and, and I'm a little bit lower on KG than I have been is KG Kobe and Kareem all missed the playoffs in their apex. Okay. Uh, and it, that that's a kind of interesting also. Yeah. And I guess I didn't realize that about Kareem because I, I, at first, when I looked at your pyramid, before I went through all of the slides, I said, man, he's got Kareem, like Kareem should be on that level five, in my opinion. But he was I, last year. But then I looked at your criteria and it's like, well, he didn't have the prime. He had the longevity and LeBron, yeah. a guy like LeBron has both. So, you know, uh, it's I like, think Kareem has both too, but this was last year was Jordan was at the top last year and then Kareem and LeBron were right below him. This was the first year I moved LeBron up with Jordan and kept Kareem down. Uh, and maybe some of it's just, I haven't seen enough of Kareem's peak. I've watched some 74 bucks uh, playoff games. And I always marvel at some of these like baseline hook shots that he makes like in crunch time, yeah. which is just like insane. Um, but like, Really, if you look at like some floor stats and BPM, like every single thing you run through, and again, the older players don't have this, you see like LeBron and Jordan up here. And then the next group is like, like there is a huge gap between the two. Like the gap looks to be between LeBron, Jordan, and everyone else, not not the two of them from each other. Right. right. So um I, we could keep going through all the players here, but I'm just going to have to have people go to your Instagram, Publius13, look at this pyramid. I know it's hard to visualize all of this as we're talking, but I, I've done the best I can to kind of break it down for everyone. I do want to bring it back to cards here for one question as we start to wind things down, because we talked about your 100 card case earlier. And I know there we talked about Jeter and there's other sports involved, but now that you've spent all this time, obviously you've thought, a lot about this pyramid does this have any impact on what gets cycled into or cycled out of the case yeah i've thought about recently um to a certain extent like uh because one of one of the one of my favorite things is like uh topics right uh, related topics on this is like the idea of like the w uh, the idea of the nba like title belt mm-hmm um where it's like who's the best player in the world and for how long and when does the title pass and that kind of corresponds with these guys highest peaks and i thought about having like a nice like tops chrome basketball or like tops and then tops chrome basketball run to kind of like illustrate or mirror my highest peaks right um and so i was like I was like, oh, I get like I have like a in my case already is a 1999 Topps Chrome Shaquille O'Neal refractor because it's like my favorite card of him dunking and like represents the beginning of the three peat. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like the the Topps Chrome like Shaq era card. And then right. like 2002 Topps Chrome right has uh, a Tim Duncan card where he's scoring. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but like Shaq and Kobe are both in the background. Mm -hmm. And in 2002, 2003, he knocks them out and wins it. I was like, oh, this is like the perfect. And it has like a, it's one of the rare basketball cards I've ever seen that has like a cup on the card. That's like for NBA MVP. Yeah. And it's got um, the, the dark blue border. Yeah. The, the regular base refractor does. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's dark blue. And I was like, oh, this would be kind of cool, like, for Duncan's reign here. And, like, it's just, like, that card couldn't, like, more perfectly illustrate, like, 2002-2003 Duncan than uh, scoring at the college. I think it's at the Coliseum. I'd have to check with, uh, like, over Shaq and, um, Shaq and Kobe. And then uh, 2003 Topps Chrome, uh, Kevin Garnett, that's, like, one of my favorite cards where he's just dunking. I uh, I just bought, like, the gold refractor of oh, that, nice. like, a week or two ago. Um, so I had bought the black, and then, like, the like two, of course, like, two days later, the gold comes up. And it's like, oh, I just, like, settled on you gotta the get black. It. 
So, um, which ironically, like, I like the look of the black refractor better on that card, but like, I was about to say that 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 gold. I know I've been all about gold lately and gold prism. That gold on the O three does not pop. It, it just doesn't have good shine and to the me. The gold, the black with the dark background on the garnet, the wolves, like the black looks like the better cards. I was like, am I like, is this, as I, I, I was t actually texting Brett, I was like, is this like a reverse upgrade that I just made <laughs> here? Cause it's right after his black refractor episode. I know um, it, it feels kind of sacrilegious to, to discard the golds for something quote unquote lesser. I know. Um, I was like, uh, okay, so that, you know, that represents kind of like those two or three years where Garnett's the best player in basketball. And then um, 09, Kobe, that's the one with him where he's dunking over the Thunder. And, and I was like, oh, this is probably, because I think Kobe is probably the best player in the world from like 06, 07 to like 2010, like three mm -hmm. or four years. Uh you know, yeah, because we, well, we were moving into the scoring point guards, and and Derrick Rose fizzled out, kind of right. You know, he came in quick, fizzled out. So yeah, I would say he he did like mean to like his prime was he, like he played at a very high level for like he definitely by the end of their careers he was the way better player than uh, Garnett and Duncan. Of course, up until he had the Achilles injuries, mm -hmm. obviously the Duncan outlasted him. Um, and that would represent the Kobe peak. And then uh, I guess, you know, 2012 prism for the, the like the LeBron taking over. Right. And I was right. like, oh, that'd be just like kind of cool. Like my idea of like a highest peaks uh, basketball run. Okay. I like that. So, so now you've got to either cycle some stuff out. You got to get a smaller case. You got to do a, a, a mini version. You, we've got to figure out something for you. That'll give you something yeah. to work on over this next year now that you're done with this pyramid for now uh chris i can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show and i i feel like you offered up a lot of good stuff today for people to to really think back on and and i would like i said i would encourage people to look at your pyramids look at uh, some of the the stats and the write-ups that you provided as well i think those offer a lot of really good context before i let you go i want to give you an opportunity to plug your social media handles anything you might be working on or anything specific you're looking for. These next few moments here are yours. Publius13 on Instagram. If you want to chirp me about my my basketball rankings, uh, go for it. Um, two, I will say I do. There are two cards I really need for my case. If anyone listening can help me out, I need, of course, because we haven't talked about them enough. A 2008 Topps Chrome Gold Refractor Kevin Garnett. I know okay. there's one on eBay. For $2,000, come on, buddy. It's like a $1,000 card. I don't want to one at 150% of comps or less, okay? The max we pay is 150%. I think this is fair that's on crazy. that. Unless it's the 18 out of 50, because then I'll think about the banner 18 and uh, everything he was doing to try to win that one for us. So that, so that would be... And then there's also... And I must say, uh, a little disappointed. I had posted about this card in my stories several times in the course of this last year. There's a set, some would call it 2008, some would call it 2009, some would call I've seen it referenced different, uh, different in different places. It's a History of Nike set. Um, I, I had posted this card in my stories several times last year, and much to my chagrin, I was checking the card ladder sales history and one did sell uh, last summer, a Steve Prefontaine history of Nike card. If anyone could find it for me, I would be forever indebted. Uh, that might be, I might die before I ever find that card. Um, yeah, I remember yeah. looking into that, that because I, I didn't know about that set. Wasn't it just like pretty much released in the Northwest so like it, it's probably someone in the Northwest that's got it. Not to say that cards can't end up across the country, but especially you Northwestern people, look at your thrift shops, look at, you know, all of your, your vintage stores, look at all that stuff. It's so funny because I was, I was like, I had spent, if, maybe if I had spent half as much time searching on eBay that I did in my stories that I couldn't find it, uh, I, I wouldn't have missed it. But I was like, I was like, I'm willing to pay $2,000 if anyone can find this. It sold for like 56 bucks in like a gem nine 
five, <laughs> five, and I was like so mad when I saw it uh, up there. I was like, how could this possibly have been? I was like probably posting on Instagram when it was at auction. But what are you gonna do? So, all right. Well, well, let's see. Maybe we can track that down, and then um, we'll also see if we can get your pyramid. I know you've got it saved in your highlights, but maybe we can get it posted um, in a couple other ways so people can see it as well. Yeah, Thanks may, again, Chris. May I can sell some posters. All righty. Take it easy. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Chris for coming on and chatting about his PC. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Maybe you've got your own little pyramid. I don't want to hear your MJ and LeBron debates, but otherwise feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.